Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Indeed. Debunking, indeed. I feel like we've really, like, lived up to our MO recently. Like... I mean, I love a good debunk. I love a good debunk, too. And look what you've done to me. Now I want to debunk everything. It makes me proud. Right? This is why (laughs) I like to choose a topic that I'm like, ooh, I wonder how much of this I can actually debunk or if it's still going to be like a a Mulder moment. Like, (laughs) It's like Pringles, though. Once you debunk, the fun don't stop. That didn't work. Once you debunk, (laughs) it begins the funk. I don't know. That's weird. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) But to your point, last episode was pretty, uh, you you even said it checked all the boxes, right? Like it Uh had a little bit of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore, all the above. All of the above. It's a nice little bow wrapped on it. Um, Plus Kim's rage. Oh, there's also, maybe we should add that to our intro. (laughs) (laughs) It's the gift that keeps on giving, Kim's rage. When something in history is just so egregious that the rage burns deep. Problem is, that's just like history at this point. Right. (laughs) History is just egregious and full of atrocities and misrepresentations and horrible, horrible things. And I just get angry and sad and sad and angry. And then I rage. Rightfully so. So, you know, to continue on with our MO of liking to check boxes and... I like boxes. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But... (laughs) So does my cat. She likes to sit in boxes. She's She's sitting in one staring at me like an evil creep right now. It sits, it sits. But uh, I want to check some boxes today because today we've got legend. Nice. We've got lore. Here for it. We got maybe a little bit of moita. Love it. You know I love a good moita. We do love a good moita. But also, I love a ghost. You do love a ghost. I I mean, I love a ghost, but like you, I think you'd be content always doing something with a ghost. I generally try to, if not something ghosty, something weird, right? And like Mm -hmm. also the weird checks in on this one also big time. Oh, I'm excited. Even better, the debunking. And we'll have uh, some characters that pop up throughout this that (gasps) Kim will be a very big fan of. Um, So can't wait. I can't wait to share with you. So we're going to do the same thing this time around. We're going to do another checking all the boxes moment. So woohoo, we're going to do it. Nice. So now if there's one type of story, legend, or lore that I personally gravitate to outside of ghosts, I know we're just like, I love ghosts. Um, <laughs> ghosts are definitely one of them. But one of the ghosts ones. Ghosts and pants. Ghosts and pants. Yes. And when we say pants, we mean the Fresno Nightcrawler Muppet pants. Um, Pants. I will be that for Halloween one year. I promise. I'm here for it. But outside of pants and ghosts (laughs) or ghosts in pants, um, I love a vampire. You do. You do love a vampire. I love a vampire. And I feel like there's so many like stereotypical vampire stories out there like we, we've covered some really great ones. We've covered in the uh-huh. past the, one of our very first episodes where we had no idea oh, what geez. we were doing. Um, the Casket Girls in New Orleans. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. We also did our friend Vlad. Hashtag. Uh, v- hashtag. Everyone's name Vlad. 
everyone's name Vlad. That was a good time. I know that that's actually one of our most listened to episodes, fun fact. Oh, really? I didn't <laughs> yeah, realize that. that is. Um, so I feel like other people also really love a vampire story. And I personally just keep coming back to it. And yeah. especially after spooky season, I watched, as we talked about uh, earlier on our last episode, Dracula on the plane and saw a lot yes. of boobs with a five-year-old sitting next to me. I also eh. love an interview with the vampire moment. I know you just watched the show. We'll yes. come back to that for Creepy Critics Corner, I promise. But I love a vampire. And so if there is a reason to research something vampire-related, it is on like Donkey Kong for me. Nice. So, however, this topic is a classic case of... Ooh, I'm excited to research a vampire legend. Only to learn that likely research will shit on it and debunk the theory, <laughs> as we have Fair. seen in previous episodes. History? In history? <laughs> in history. Is it, is it history, Gabby? Is it history? And in our episodes? Uh, yes, I would mm-hmm. say in both. Uh, but hold on to your butts. This one is a really Done. weird one. Like, <gasps> like weird even for us? Like weird, I think on brand for us, but maybe weird okay. for people who don't know us. Maybe I'll put it that way. So like if this was people's first impression, I'm so, so sorry, but also I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. I'm like, welcome. Nice. We are here. This is what we're talking about. We are here. We are here. We are here. This is a classic case of a, a legendy lore moment with lots of tele- the game of telephone with like two mm. men trying to have one cock bigger than the other. Try- Oh, you went where I thought you were going to go with that. I was like, is it about cocks? Is it about cocks? It's about cocks. cocks. It's about (gasps) metaphysical cocks. Um, You've given me the gift of metaphysical cock. (laughs) Is that our hashtag? That's our hashtag. Metaphysical cock. (laughs) It's Christmas, everyone. It actually is about to be, so you're welcome. (gasps) It's Christmas. You're welcome. I'm decorating my Christmas tree with metaphysical cocks. Now I know what to get you for the holidays. You do. (laughs) But uh, it's not a classic, classic vampire story. I'll say that. And that's why I like that it's weird. I mean, we'll get to the metaphysical cocks in a second. You had me at metaphysical cock. (laughs) I'm not going to get beyond that. I'm going to start a drinking game. And every time you say metaphysical cock, I'm drinking more than I already was before we started. So there you go. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wait, can we hold How up? Old are can we? we make a ghoulish I'm 12. Can we make I'm a 12-year-old boy. Can we make a ghoulish tendencies drinking game? Oh jeez. Can we for the holidays? Sure. Can we what do is this? it? Um every time we say evidence, you take a shot. Okay. Every time we say allegedly, you have to uh, drink some wassail every time uh, we say metaphysical cock, which I will now say as many times as possible. You drink a bottle of something and then you die. So, or you, you could just yell ectoplasm. Yell ecto. Ooh, that's more fun. We're gonna do a whole thing. We should do this. Maybe release it to our Patreon. This is the official Ghoulish Tendencies drinking game. The end. All right. Having said that, let's keep this ball rolling. We have a game. I hope you're playing along with us at home. Kim is going to play this game currently with her beverage that she has in her blood cup. I love it. Um, So, okay. Not a classic Dracula moment. I just will say this right now. This is, 
you know, not some a story that takes place hundreds of years ago with lots of legends that are passed down by word of mouth because you didn't have, you know, books. Um, or maybe you had books or internet. I don't know. You didn't have internet like hundreds of years ago, right? You don't know my life. I do know you didn't have internet. I will say that. Um, I, I had AOL. Dial up. That was hundreds of years ago. Sure does feel like it. Um, You've got mail. This vampire story comes from a time that most people know of as the golden age of the serial killer, actually. <gasps> you know how I love the golden age of the serial killer. When was that, Kim? N- 1950 to 2000. More specifically, the 1970s. The 1970s. And honestly, that's kind of what got me interested in this topic to begin with, because you don't hear a lot of vampire legends and lore from the 70s. Like, I hear it mostly yep. from, like, 1800s and prior. I was going to say, yeah, turn right? of the century, kind, yeah. like, turn of the, to, to the, 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 the 1900s, yeah. Because there, there was a handful of, like, the vampire of Dusseldorf is one that always pops up. That's probably, uh, if... if <laughs> This is a sentence that I get to say. If I had to say, um, like, <laughs> God, the most famous um, vampire is, to me, the vampire of Dusseldorf. And that was a case that, um, I don't know, he was executed. He was executed, I think. Yeah, because he was he was guillotined in, in like, the 30s. So, uh, more recent. Anyway. More recent, but still that like early 1900s kind of For sure. time. Not the 1970s. Not when you think about television. I guess that's it. Like pre-TV times, yeah. pre-your nightly news times. I would say pre-media in general. Like you have like newspapers back then, but I was when like, you I have mean, print media though was print media, intense. yes. But like TV was a whole other thing. Like, that's a different type of media when we're talking about it. There was a huge shift when television got into the picture from print or even radio. So today, even though this is not a vampire of the 1930s, we're talking about the Highgate vampire. Kim, have you heard of the Highgate vampire? I I have heard of it. I'm going to be frank. I don't know tons and tons about it. It's one of those cases in my little notebook that I've read probably an article about, but uh, uh, it's, it's, you you might hear me go like, oh, yeah, but this is not one I'm super well versed in. I'm super excited to talk about it then because nice. uh, it's a wild ride. Um, it is full of superstition, occultism, mm. witchcraft, mm. death, <gasps> media. Hyst- I like that death and media are next to each other. Hysteria, mm. uh, paranormal investigations. And then, you know, like we mentioned before, the classic case of two men who tried to one-up each other with who could stake the claim, pun intended, on this bizarre sighting in a cemetery. Hashtag metaphysical dick. Uh, I hate it when people swing their metaphysical dicks. Especially at each other. I mean, you would think that that would be more entertaining to watch, especially in a paranormal investigation, but... If you slap somebody in the face with your metaphysical dick, (laughs) asking for a friend, if you slap someone in the face with your metaphysical dick, like, what is that? What 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 does that feel like? Wait, hold on. What if you're in the middle of a paranormal investigation and someone says, give me a sign? (laughs) And they they slap you in the face with their metaphysical dick? That's a sign, you know? you know, it's a, but here's a, so are you aware that what you're being slapped in the face with is a metaphysical dick? Maybe that's what causes or, like the three scratches down someone's back, you know? Maybe it's that. 
What? Okay, wait. What does your <laughs> metaphysical dick look like that it's leaving scratches down someone's okay, back? Okay, this also, is going down a rabbit also, hole. <laughs> I have questions. Kim has questions. Okay, hold the questions about the metaphysical dick. You opened this door, Gabby. You opened the door. It's your fault. <laughs> Well, okay, I understand that there's questions about metaphysical dicks. There's going to be a lot of questions that you're going to have throughout this topic. And I think the best place for us to start is to get a little bit of historical context and go back to the early 19th century and go back to London. Because I love London. Highgate Cemetery is in London. And that is where the story of the Highgate vampire was birthed. So let's talk about this, this context of what was going on in London during the early 19th century. And this might sound familiar based on, you know, other things we've talked about before. There was a really high mortality rate, overpopulation, and not so uh, adequate burial space for the dead people. Does that sound kind of similar to things we've yeah, talked yeah, about before? That, that's, that's, that, that rings some bells. Rings some bells. So... There were graveyards and burial grounds that were crammed literally between anything you could cram them between, like shops, houses, taverns, right in between them, you'd have dead bodies. So wherever there is space, they fill it with the body. Uh, now, it was really bad at a certain point, and it got to a point where undertakers would, like, dress up as clergy uh, and perform unauthorized oh. and illegal burials because... I was like... That's not, that's, you're not, they're not supposed to do that. Oh, no, that's very illegal. That's very illegal. Oh, yes. And, and, and if you're religious, it's not great for, like, God and shit. And maybe that wasn't the priority at that time for the people that were alive. <laughs> so that's just mm, food for thought. Now, it, it was, it was pretty bad. Bodies were wrapped in cheap material and buried with other human remains. <laughs> In oh, graves geez. that were just, like, a couple feet deep. Like, not even mm. deep enough to be a regular grave. They oh, even geez. used quicklime on the bodies to help them mm. decompose faster mm -hmm. so they could no, reuse yeah. the graves. Like, there was strategy in place to try to fit all these bodies. So wow. there needed to be a better solution. Like, there, yeah. there was a stench. It was not healthy, like, to be mm -mm. with, like, imagine just living your everyday life and just be having a bunch of, like, dead bodies around you all the time. Like, I mean, wait, my everyday life or, like, the average person's? The average person, our okay. listener, okay. maybe, Fair. perhaps. Fair. We don't okay. know who no. they are, actually. I can't that's say legit. that. That's I don't, legit. I don't know their life. Maybe they have life. dead bodies around, too. Whatever. It's possible. That, maybe that's why you listen. That's why you relate. Who knows? But um, it got so bad in the early 1800s that... Someone said something and they did something about it. So they basically, Parliament passed a statute to the effect that seven new private cemeteries would be opened in the countryside outside of London um, to support mm. the burial of London's dead. And so uh, a few different uh, cemeteries popped up. There was Kensal Green in 1833, mm -hmm. West Norwood in 1836, Highgate Cemetery in 1839, Abney Park in 1840, Brompton in 1840, Nunhead, what a name, 1840, and Tower Hamlets. Nunhead. Yeah, and Tower Hamlets in 1841. So pretty mm -hmm. quick development of cemeteries. Like between yeah. 1833 and 1841, you get seven. Like that's pretty significant. So of those, Highgate Cemetery 
is the one that we're going to be talking about today. Nice. So Highgate Cemetery is in North London, and it houses mm-hmm. some of the most reputable people, rich, wealthy people that have lived in the vicinity, the elite, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Allegedly, it's one of the most haunted cemeteries in the world, says mm-hmm. most people about all cemeteries. Uh, <laughs> but take it with a grain of salt or literally sure. whatever you would like to do. Uh, but it's situated on a really old piece of land. And that mm-hmm. then makes me question some things. Um, but let's talk about how it kind of came to. It actually took three years for the cemetery to be completed. So it started being put together in um, 1836 to be opened on 1839. Um, mm-hmm. And David Ramsey was a landscaper who was really well renowned as a like beautiful gardener and landscaper. And it was designed by Stephen Geary and uh, the surveyor James Bunstone Bunning. Hashtag That's a great name. Kim's favorite names. Love that name. So just some historical fun facts. A lot of attention was put into this because they wanted people to want to buy space in the cemetery. So they made it really beautiful to make it ideal for the most wealthy people to want to spend monies and buy plots, right? Sure. It was built on 17 acres of land that had once been the grounds of the Ashurst estate. And it was on the steep hillside right next to Highgate Village. However, before that, there is actually a legend. Again, there is so much legend and lore in this that like, Take certain things, please, with a grain of salt. Um, Hmm. There's a legend that dates back to, like, the time of the Black Death, which, if you don't know, this is, like, 1300s, 1348, 1350, um, that, quote, there has always been a burial ground on that site right back to Roman times. It's one of the oldest burial grounds in London, end quote. Hmm. So, shit could be happening there. All I think about is... How old a place is, how many bodies are there, mm-hmm. who died, who's hanging out. Who died. Right? Like, sure. doesn't have to be a house that only has the people who live there. It could be that land. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So just planting that seed. Now, okay. when we're talking about the way the cemetery looks. It's got a very gothic Victorian vibe. Oh, my gosh, these pictures, this video. If you look it up, it is stunning. Like, Mm. it looks like the inspiration for any type of, like, horror film that has a cemetery in it. Or, like, literally the Haunted Mansion. Like, it looks like the OG inspo for that. Um, Okay. I want to go just because it's pretty. Uh, But also... A lot of attention was put into it. It's actually the oldest part of the cemetery. There's two parts. There's a west side and then there's the east side. And the west side Uh is the original cemetery. And it's got super ornate Gothic Victorian design and a clear observation of the Victorian obsession of ancient Egypt. So I know Mm. like we've talked about this briefly in the past, but like Victorians loved Egypt. They wanted all those dead mummies in their houses. Um, And just the, you know, the look of an Egyptian crypt was an uh, inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually an Egyptian avenue in Ooh. Highgate Cemetery called Egyptian Avenue. And that's where, like, all the wealthiest people mm-hmm. were buried. Um, and there was a millionaire newspaper owner named Julius Beer. <laughs> Another great name. What a name. Um, he Love. was an investor in the cemetery, and uh, he has the most impressive monument in the entire cemetery. It's actually really sad. It's for his eight-year-old daughter, Ada. Mm. Um, 
It's adorned with gold leaf and precious stones, and it decorates. It's the most ornate mausoleum there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's considered one of the many buildings that's actually protected due to its national importance and architectural design. Mm. So just fun fact. Uh, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. should look it up. It's really pretty. Um, more fun facts. Guess who's buried in the cemetery? Jesus. Nope. Sure oh. isn't. Uh, Karl Marx. <laughs> nice. Not Jesus, but Karl Marx. We don't um, know. And it's, he's got a huge, huge statue there, which is kind of cool. Um, so is uh, Charles Dickens' dad, John Dickens. But not Charles Dickens? But not Charles Dickens. And apparently, okay. uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I found all these really random fun facts. And I just was like, that's a really random one. I'm going to tell him about it. Mm. Um but the Highgate Cemetery East was built as an extension of the original cemetery in 1856. It's still cool, but it's not as like ornate and elite as the sure. OG sure. West Side. Mm-hmm. Quote, but there's another side of Highgate's history. The slum Ooh. dwellings and cholera outbreaks, body snatching, murders, and stuff that's gone on over the centuries, which has kind of been forgotten about, end quote. Oh, yeah, yeah. So aside from the beauty and elitism of Highgate, there is something very different about it that people who have visited have been left with stone cold terror after visiting. Spooky. Spooky. So you can tell what I'm going to joke about something or not. But um, one person Uh was poking around and exploring the cemetery, Uh felt a shift in the atmospheric (gasps) pressure, had an ominous feeling, and suddenly... Everything fell deathly silent. Not a bird, not a breeze, not not a nothing. Felt unwelcome and ran out of the cemetery. Apparently, this happens to a lot of people. And here's an interesting point. All paranormal investigations have been banned in the cemetery since the 70s. Mm -hmm. You may wonder, hmm, why? But why, Gabby? But But why? why? What, What happened in the 70s? What happened? December 21st, 1969. Allegedly. 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 Practicing Satanists were using the cemetery to conduct rituals at night that would allegedly, (laughs) allegedly, allegedly, manifest entities that would stay in the physical realm and left behind evidence, evidence, evidence that they did so. Oh, you know what? What? My bad. That was totally me. I'm so sorry. Oh, Kim. My bad. My story. I'm sorry. It was totally my bad. I should have cleaned up after myself. Okay. I have questions. In 1969, okay. how old were you? <laughs> I was inhabiting the body. Kim is the Highgate because vampire. <laughs> I'm a demon. <laughs> I'm a demon. I uh, didn't want this to be how I told you. But um, I appreciate the honesty. It's, you know, it was time. It was time. So where the Kim that you know was not around in 1969, 69? <laughs> of course it was. Because, <laughs> you know, metaphysical dicks. Um, oi. 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 Uh, I, I, was, I was in another form. Okay. Another form of a metaphysical dick. Got it. Exactly. Um, that was the origin of my metaphysical dick. Oh, my God. Was You're welcome. The Satanist experience so what they manifested was kim as a metaphysical dick got it yep Yep. um that is now in our current realm that checks you're welcome so anywho fun fact these days ghost hunting groups have facebook these days we do do. ghost hunting groups have the internet phones you know 
Google all Google. kinds of things to uh, communicate, to plan, uh -huh. to uh -huh. tell uh -huh. people, hey, this place I think might be haunted. We should check it out, right? Yeah, that's a that's real. That's real. True in story, 1970. In 1970, they didn't have that. They only had publications. Mm. I don't know who would let a paranormal investigator on the news and be like, hey, guys, I think this place is haunted. Can we go check it out? Um, Might not be, be as surprised. legit. You'd be surprised. Oh, I would I've seen, see I've that. seen things, Gabby. I'll send you some stuff. Oh, I can't wait to watch. Well, generally speaking, in London at this time, the way people would communicate about this stuff is with publications and local papers. Sure. And local, yeah. like, magazines. Mm -hmm. And one of them is called The Ham and High. Yes. The ha so you, Kim, you know the Hammond High, yes? I, well, because see, I mean, I know Highgate because I lived in London. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and the Hammond High is a familiar thing to you then. Yes. So back in the day before the internet, paranormal researchers usually would notify people of things like hauntings or experiences by writing letters uh -huh. to the local newspaper talking about paranormal happenings. And the Hammond High was one of these. Uh -huh. So on February 6, 1970, psychic investigator David Ferrant, Ferrant, uh -huh. Ferrant, I think it's sure. Ferrant, uh, wrote a letter that was published in the Hammond High stating that during his visit to Highgate Cemetery, he had seen a, quote, ghost-like figure inside the gates on Swan's Lane. End quote. He said it was a seven to eight foot figure that he presumed was not human near the gate in a cloak with a hood with a white slash gray face and glowing red eyes. And when he saw this figure, the temperature in the area immediately dropped significantly. So this letter elicits three responses in the Hammond High of other people who saw the exact same thing in the same area. That seems interesting. Does indeed. And then it elicited a whole bunch of people talking about shit they saw in that area. Quote, these ghosts were described as a spectral cyclist, a woman in white, a face glaring through the bars of a gate, a figure wading into a pond. I guess there was a pond. A pale gliding form. Bells ringing and voices calling. End quote. Okay. And three hens laying two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. And in 1967, <laughs> prior to this, there were actually two adolescent girls walking home near uh, Swain's Lane and claimed to have witnessed the dead rising from their graves by the cemetery's north gate. Ooh. Another teenager uh, had been awoken one night with, quote, something cold and clinging, end quote, on her hand, which left prominent marks the next morning. Was it a cat? And apparently somebody saw a tall man in a hat walking in the area before melting through the cemetery's walls. Could be a cat. Could be maybe. a cat. Maybe. Maybe um, a cat. Also, we've talked about this in the past. How reliable is a teenager? <laughs> I work with a lot of them. I adore them. Not reliable at all. <laughs> not the most reliable. Not the most, not the most reliable. Well, and it's also just like, again, and this is the problem with reading stories like this af way, not just after the fact, way after the fact. Like, who else lived in the house? You know? Oh, this isn't a cemetery, though. Well, but the, the waking up one, though. Oh, that was that was that one girl. Yeah. 
Yeah, that sorry, that one stuck out to me because I'm like, I mean, like, do you have younger siblings? Do you have like there there's a lot of of questions. Um and you're gonna have a lot more <laughs> questions. Yeah. What's well, it's again, I don't wanna discount anytime we we talk about some of these supernatural things, like I don't wanna discount people's experiences. I just think so long after the fact, it's like you have to understand the context of it, which is there is no context outside of somebody saying, I saw a man melt through the gates. Where it's like, okay, but did you see a transient ducking through the gates? Did you see, you know, a teenager like up to no good deciding to slide through the gates? But it looked like because it was maybe a little foggy because, again, London uh, and it looked like they melted through. There's there's just a lot of things where questions. There's questions, and yeah. it's it's it doesn't mean we don't believe what you're saying. It means that part of our duty as paranormal investigators is to ask said questions, even when people think we're being assholes. Or metaphysical dicks, you know? Or metaphysical so dicks, yeah. Maybe the drinking game should be with metaphysical dicks this I'd, round. I don't my, know. I, I'm getting my business cards changed to say, <laughs> Kim Douthit, paranormal investigator, metaphysical, metaphysical dick. dick. Perfect. Can't wait. Um, so there is a sighting. I love this. There's a sighting in the late 1960s by an accountant who apparently didn't want to use his name because he didn't want to be ridiculed. Oh, um, buddy. And so he used the name Thornton instead of his actual name. And this is what he said. Quote, as the light began to fail, he decided to leave, but somehow he became hopelessly lost. Not being a superstitious person or even believing in ghosts, he walked calmly around looking for the gate when he suddenly became aware of the presence of something behind him. Mm. Swinging around less than six feet away, he saw a tall, dark specter hovering just above the ground. He found himself transfixed to the spot, completely unable to move, drained of energy by some powerful, quote, hypnotic force, end quote, that in a matter of seconds rendered him unconscious to any sense of time or being able to recognize his surroundings. So great was the intensity of this force that he remained like this for several minutes, or what seems like several minutes, before the specter abruptly vanished and he slowly regained his normal faculties, end quote. All right. Okay. Okay. This dude who didn't want to give his name, Thornton. Mm. Sure. Cool. Sure. Thank you for the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently some other wild things happened in the early months of 1970. A bunch of uh, animals were found dead. Their bodies Ooh. were drained of blood. Sure. And they had lacerations on their throats. Is, is that maybe why their bodies were drained of blood? Yeah, that probably caused it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because did, did anyone check? Like, was there... Like, their bodies were drained of blood, but they, they looked to see if the blood was just drained out of them around the animals, or... That's not a detail I just, that I have. I'm just curious. That's a good question. Kim Great has question. questions. Kim, Kim's going to have... This This episode should be called Kim Has Questions. Um, Kim has questions. Kim's going to have lots of questions. Yeah, also, it's my brand. Also, apparently a young nurse was thrown to the ground near the entity when she saw it. Uh, okay. And then she saw it vanish in the headlights of a car. Um. And there were also uh, recordings of something slithering over the cemetery walls, taking that was the also form me. of presumably ectoplasmic substance. Told you, me. <laughs> it was Kim. It was, <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. Metaphysical Dick Kim uh, and her ectoplasm <laughs> dripping over the wall. Um, 
Now, but these are like real reports. Like people actually yeah, yeah. saw these things and it wasn't just Kim making jokes. Like we're making jokes right now because it's easy to do that. But also like this was reported. Right. Um, now, on top of all of this, a lot of people reported experiencing the confusion, exhaustion and sense of loss of time that our friend Thornton, air quotes, also experienced. Mm. So David Ferrant, the one who had written the letter to Ham and High, he claimed to have uh-huh. his energy drained after also, and he actually went back to investigate. He found signs of satanic rituals and black magic and claimed that something was released by the satanic practices. Hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. He also said that there were entities that were around the vicinity um, mm-hmm. that were not just limited to Highgate. And Okay. There's actually a pub across the street uh, called Highgate Pub, and Mm Farron said that there were also dark shadows seen there, presumably shadows that could have also been seen at the cemetery. That's an an assumption that I don't think any of us can really prove, but somebody thought it, so I figured I would say it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I keep mentioning David Farron. So you may ask, who is this guy, David Farron? Who exactly is Mm -hmm. he? Mm-hmm. He actually became one of Britain's most controversial psychic investigators. And he was president of the uh, British Psychic and Occult Society. Okay. He was also a local tobacconist, I think is the word for it. Sure. Yeah. Um, he also was married. He had two kids. Mm-hmm. And he had been a spiritualist since he was a, a younger kid. Um, he okay. was involved in occult society a lot of his life. Sure. So mm-hmm. comes with that the recognize like he could recognize when someone was doing some kind of satanic thing in a cemetery, right? right? So mm-hmm. that's why he identified it as what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, after he had his second son, his wife said that's when the weirdness started. That yeah. was when David became obsessed with Highgate Cemetery. Mm. Not just obsessed with it, but obsessed with investigating it after having that sighting. Sure. And it took over his life. Affecting mm-hmm. his personal life. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. his wife moved herself and her sons out of town when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he also was the first to bring attention to this particularly odd entity publicly. Um, and thus was the birth of a local legend. Mm. So literally weeks after Ferenc's publication, technical term for this person is douche canoe, Sean <laughs> Manchester... <laughs> Uh, Sean Manchester entered the scene and completely stole Ferenc's thunder. You'll know why I call him a douche canoe in just a bit. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I hope I don't he get comes to hear and you. finds us. I'm just going to say that I don't that get now. to hear you say douche canoe too often. Like, I'm, I'm proud? Is that the word? Proud? Oh, thank you. I think I'm proud, Gabby. Oh, my I'm gosh. Proud. Thank you. Anytime. Just for you, Kim. So, Friday, February 27th, 1970. Uh-huh. Right Reverend Bishop Sean Manchester of the Old Catholic Church, Eh. says a lot already, 25 years old, paranormal investigator and president of the British Occult Society. Sure. Cool. He concludes that not only is this sighting at the Highgate Cemetery paranormal, it's a vampire. (sighs) But wait, it's not just any vampire. It's the king vampire of the undead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this like like a rat king? Is this what I'm hearing? 
This is what you can imagine with this audio medium. You can have a mental visual of the Rat King that has teeth like a vampire and a cute little cloak. And tails intertwined. So douche canoe Sean Manchester goes on to name two young girls and one guy who have been attacked allegedly. 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 And others who were visited in their beds at night. One of the young girls describes this beast in her room with the face of a wild animal, quote, having glaring eyes and teeth, but as a man with the expression of an animal, its face is gaunt and gray, end quote. Sure. She woke in the morning to discover two red marks on her neck, speaking to being visited by something exceedingly wicked. <gasps> dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Also, was she a teenager and were they zits or was it a hickey? Like, I have questions. <laughs> ah, ah. Oh, Gabby. <laughs> that, I, that brought me joy. So That brought me a lot of joy. We talked about television in the 70s, right? We talked about yeah. how it was like this media revolution, essentially, of, of sure. people hear something interesting and they want to put it on the TV, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so a TV producer gets a hold of this information. Mm-hmm. So he chooses to do a special on Friday the 13th at the main tea time when everybody's watching TV Mm. on this vampire at Highgate Cemetery based Uh on the information that Manchester provided. And Manchester, like, mentions Ferent in it, but says that he's intending to go back to the cemetery to thank the king vampire. And I'm like, what? what's he thanking him for? Like, Manchester's trying to take all the credit for this. It's like, hmm. why are you... It just seems weird. Yeah. And, like, the telephone game is so strong, right? Like, mm-hmm. this guy randomly comes out and says, it's a vampire. Somebody has red marks on her neck and is telling the story. It literally sounds like the witch trials. Like, yeah, literally sounds like that. So, mm-hmm. now that this goes on TV, guess what happens? The the ghost slaps people with their metaphysical dick. You might as well. Because <laughs> chaos happens. Could chaos. also be described as chaos, so I don't want to say no. I love chaos. Um, I love chaos and metaphysical dicks. Metaphysical dick chaos. That should be a band. Um, that is totally a band. So, of course... With this chaos, southeast of England is considering all vampires to be real, and it created a full-blown vampire hysteria. People went nuts. Literally, they had to surround the cemetery, the Highgate Cemetery, with police cars because so many people swarmed Highgate Cemetery at midnight with crucifixes and were literally like desecrating graves. People were opening up graves and driving iron stakes through the bodies of the dead that were buried in the cemetery. That feels like overkill. Pun intended? Yeah, it was. And so that's, I mean, think about it though. Like, let's say you're not one of those people doing that, but obviously that's going to be on the news, right? And you're seeing this news report of all these people going into one of these like really old cemeteries and like driving stakes into bodies that might freak you out a little bit or make you go, what the fuck is wrong with people? Or a little bit of both, right? Like who knows? But at this point it is publicly known that this happened. And the next morning, the story of the Highgate vampire becomes truly undead, even though, 
nobody found or saw a vampire. Rude. So as all this is happening, David Ferrant is pissed, which I totally understand because he's the one who brought this up to begin with, right? Sure. The other thing is, is that David Ferrant never said it was a vampire. He literally just said there was an entity that he saw. And like Manchester's like, I'm the one that's going to say it's a vampire. Where's your evidence, sir? Evidence. 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 So like no one's questioning him. Everyone's taking it at like face value and no sure. one's questioning it. But David Ferrant's like, hello, can we like uh-huh. do something about this? So he's, he's annoyed, right? So he definitely doesn't believe it's a vampire. So he starts conducting magical rituals with sexual <sighs> inclinations. <laughs> Regular thing to do in response. Totally. Um, there are photos of this. I would encourage you to look it up. There's actually a uh, air quotes documentary on Discovery Plus called The Curse of the Highgate Vampire that I watched. And there's some photos and mm. like video of David Ferrant speaking, which you can also find mm. on YouTube. I'll put it in our show notes Okay. Um, about all of this where you can see the visuals. So if you want to watch it, you can watch it there. I am, I am um, intrigued. You would actually probably really like it. It's no, a I, wild story. Yeah. So, David Ferrant is doing these magical rituals and, like, starts getting arrested. He got arrested three times in one year for desecrating graves when he actually didn't even desecrate any graves. It was other Satanists who were coming in and doing that. (laughs) That's maybe my favorite sentence ever. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) And, like... So at this point, he doesn't have the greatest reputation. Sure. Like, he's doing these weird sexual magical rituals, getting arrested for desecrating graves, publicly at least. Like, he's, he's being known as that. And then a headless body is pulled from a grave in the Highgate Cemetery. And so the first person they go to that they think did it is David Ferrant. So without even any, like, evidence. 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 He's arrested, his Uh home is raided, and he's sentenced to four and a half years of prison for desecrating a grave without any proof that he did it. I'm sorry. Wait, no, I'm sorry. You get four and a half years in prison for desecrating a grave? Yep. (sighs) I hear fire engines. Yeah, there's fire engines. I told you the story's wild. I know. Okay. I just like, and I, I realize this is not America, but also, I, I mean, you, you have people who serve less time. Wait, cause I can hear fire. Ending. No, it's cause it's, it, it's like being do you a man. want this to be like, part of it or do you want, is this you just ranting? Because if it's you just ranting, then you can talk now because there's fire engines. Do you, I mean, do we need more of Kim ranting? I'm happy for it either way, but like. No, you can. I mean, it's valid. No, I just like. I there's cases of of I feel like manslaughters and sexual assaults that get less time. But oh no, God forbid someone desecrates a grave. I'm not saying like yay go desecrate a grave. I'm just saying <laughs> in sure? the gra- no, but in the grand <laughs> scheme of of. It just, I feel like this is just further proof, and and not just in America, but in the United Kingdom as well, that what we're prioritizing to punish people for is incredibly skewed. And it, this just this is just such a perfect example that highlights it, that you did some graffiti, you desecrate a grave, 
four and a half years in prison. What is accomplished by that? Sorry. I, it's, mm. And prison. what's even worse is like he, there was no evidence against and it. And there was like, no evidence. Yeah. Like that's, like, that's the worst part. The, the, it's, it's bad enough if you, even if it was something that, was, that he did and they could prove it. Because, again, this is what we're wasting tax dollars on. This is what's worth it. Maybe even community service means at least it's going back to the community. But, like, there's no ev- – uh, sorry. The, this kind of shit gets me so angry. I get And there angry, it is, Gabby. everybody. She's here. You're welcome. I told you you're going to get mad. I um, – and it's early. It's early. It's still. early. I'm not even done. Um, so he goes – to prison, right? Sure. Now, in 1974, Wal is in prison. Douche Canoe Manchester. I'm just going to keep calling him Douche Canoe Manchester. Please do. It's what I used to call my ex-husband. Perfect. Douche Canoe Manchester allegedly, Kim. Allegedly. I think, I think you're going to, like, lose your shit right now. So, oh, wait, like, I'm putting my drink down. Hold on. Kim, Kim allegedly. Douche Canoe Manchester allegedly tracks down this king vampire to a neo-gothic mansion. Finds a casket in the basement, opens it, there's a body, he stabs it through the heart, then, he's not done, pours gasoline all over it, and then lights it on fire, thus squashing some of the vampire hysteria and killing an already dead person that was in a casket in a basement that 99.99999% sure was not a king vampire. I have notes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you don't even have to say it. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kim's going to say yeah. So basically, this is all for show, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you have all this vampire hysteria happening. Someone's got to squash it somehow. And apparently by doing this, he thinks it's going to squash it, but he'll also be like the hero of the story, right? So not only is he the person that made it super publicly known that this is a vampire, but he's also the one that's going to take him down. He's the vampire hunter, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently that gives him some kind of credibility to whom I don't know. Not these people, not me and you, but, you know, somehow some kind of credibility Meanwhile, Ferent is in prison just, like, spontaneously combusting out of anger. Sure. Um, not really. He's just in prison. He's just pissed. So what does Manchester then do? He's got to write a book about it. So he goes on to publish a book called The Highgate Vampire in the 80s. Of course, and then the because 80s. this is a, a dick measuring contest, Ferent one-ups him and publishes, quote, Beyond the Highgate Vampire <laughs> as his own book. Fully talking about how it's a ghost or an entity, not a vampire. Um, so basically, there, there's also, this is funny, there was more publicity about Ferent and Manchester when the rumors spread that they would meet in a magician's duel on Parliament Hill on Friday the 13th in April 1973, which I know I'm kind of going back in time, but like, that never happened, but I love that that's part of the story. Um, what is a magician's duel? I have questions. I, I mean, like... <laughs> I think I've seen too much Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, and I haven't seen Harry Potter ever, so maybe that's why I don't know. Yeah, but I, I doubt that they're referring to... Harry Potter? Harry Potter? I don't know. In like 1973? Um, 
I, like, okay, so no, I this is mm, this is not one that that uh, makes sense to me outside of just the idea of two people who think they're magic dueling each other. But like, if this is a thing, this is not a phrase I'm familiar with. Although I'm curious, so maybe we should look it up at some point. But for the sake of this story, we'll keep the ball rolling. Sure. So <clears throat> these two clearly, like, don't like each other. Uh, they would shit-talk each other all the time, would, like, publish things shit-talking each other all the time. Their feud literally continued for decades. Like, immature. Like, high school shit. Like, into their adult lives until... Uh, Ferrant died in 2019, which I don't want to skip all the way to 2019 yet. So we're going to pause on that. Okay. We will fast forward to the year 2000-ish, the year of the internet beginning. Um, And that then creates a whole new life for this story. So after uh, Douche Canoe Manchester spears the rando dead body calling it a vampire thing settled down for a bit until the internet became a thing. And then it started to pop up again. And people started to question Manchester's credibility, started asking some questions, mm-hmm. starting, ask, starting to ask some questions about some evidence, evidence, evidence. The people had questions. We have questions. We all have questions. Enter your friend <gasps> who, well, like, literally, you should look her up, Erin Chapman. Now, in the, the, the curse of the Highgate Vampire documentary, she's in it. And they label her as, quote, internet sleuth, end quote, (laughs) which I was like, it's us. Erin is us. She's us. Um, But she is someone who, she's from Canada. Um, She actually researched the shit out of the Highgate vampire. She's written some articles, hasn't she? She has. She has a blog or something. Yep. She has a full blog. She visited Highgate Cemetery. Her blog is uh, vamped.org, which I actually went through and read a bunch of her stuff. It's legit. You would probably get a kick out of it. Mm -hmm. The best part about it is that she went to the location where Manchester wrote about this vampire experience that allegedly happened uh-huh. and went to all four locations that he talked about and they, none of them lined up with the geography that was actually there. So it was fully in different locations. So it was complete bullshit. Uh-huh. And so she was able to be like, actually, you're wrong, sir. These, these locations, are it doesn't add up. It's not right. So she publishes an article about it and douche canoe Sean Manchester Meh. is pissed. He doesn't Meh. take it well. So he reaches out to her. And apparently, every time someone tries to talk about the case, uh-huh. Manchester essentially internet trolls them. Which is why <laughs> I kind of hope he internet trolls us a little bit because <gasps> yes! I'm talking about him. Um, but really, I'm just reporting what is out there. This All this information is already known. So it's not like I just... <gasps> found something new. Wait, if he starts trolling us, can I challenge him not to a wizard's duel, but to a metaphysical dick fight? Because I think yes. I think my metaphysical dick is bigger than his metaphysical dick. I'm gonna put that out there in the world. That was such a true. good callback, Kim. I want to hug you right now, but you're on the internet and I can't hug you. Air hug. All right, Air cool. Hug. So anyway, I don't even know what his deal is these days, but he's an old dude now. So if he's 25 in the 70s, do the math. Like, whatever. Um, anyway, having said that, uh, he was not stoked. And he did the, he did some shit that literally a teenager would do. Um, 
obviously he was not happy about what she published. Sure. So he went through her friends on Facebook, added a bunch of people, individually messaged them, shit-talking Aaron Chapman, calling her fat and sending <gasps> fat pictures of, like, fat women. No, thinking that that was okay. going to, like affect Aaron and the best part is like on the sh- on the in this documentary when she talks about it she's like yeah the best he could do was call me fat like she does not give a shit um and so it's just it's pretty funny um that's you know that's Aaron so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't stop with Aaron though there was also Patsy Langley this lovely okay. uh woman who is a paranormal investigator who's British, she spent 20 years of her life investigating this case. And she directly reached out to Douche Canoe Manchester via his website for asking him for the evidence of what happened in his book, wanting to know where he got the facts. Okay. Which, like, the balls to do that. Like, yeah, that's those rad. are some balls. Love you, Patsy. That's great. And so... He also did not respond well to that. So he emails her back and then continues to email her daily, threatening her with Mm. being discredited, sued. He didn't want anybody digging into his story. That was his story to tell nobody else. Hmm. He fully was abusive to her verbally in his response and like did nothing, though. He was all bark and no bite. And even, like, at the end of her interview on on that um, documentary, because she's in it, too, she talks about how, like, yeah, he threatened all these things, but pff, he didn't do anything. I'm still here. I'm still talking to you guys. You know, like, it it wasn't much. Didn't do anything. Okay. Um, now, bless Langley. It shows her walking through the actual Highgate Cemetery with dousing rods, which I know how you feel about those. But everybody has their own choice. Um, we, we, all, we all have our crosses to bear. <laughs> And you can make a cross with a dousing rod. Um, hey. Hey. So, you know, at this point, Sean Manchester maintains that he killed the Highgate vampire in 1974. Langley, to this day, will visit the cemetery and still see shit in the same place. I'm, I'm, I believe that. <laughs> so now fast forward to April 2005. Sure. David Ferrant visits again. Okay. And says that the entity has been seen by quite a few more people. Uh Speaking of seeing this entity frequently. Uh So there's a variety of places where this figure is seen. Again, I don't know if it's the same figure. It could be different, you know, shadow figures, what have you. But the old Roman settlement in Highgate Woods is a location that is allegedly haunted. It's if we have time to get into this toward the end. But Highgate Woods is a really, really, really old wooded area that's been around forever and has a lot of history in it. Um, There's also the Gatehouse Pub, the Flash Pub. They're all allegedly, 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 according to Langley, are all connected through ley lines. Mm. Kim, Mm. do you know what ley lines are? (laughs) I mean, I I do. Um, So... I'm trying to think of the like best way to sort of describe this without um if you if you draw lines between like landmarks, historic structures, um again it was it was big in Europe. Uh the the the, the way that they line up uh were are deliberately made um and 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 goes into like 
energy and, and earth energy and, and, and shit like that. Like it's, uh, it's kind of a weird thing to have to, I, if you have a better way to explain it, it's not yeah, something no, I've ever curious. had to like really explain to somebody before. No, for sure. And you're not wrong. It's technically not recognized by science, which I think well, is interesting. It's not really science. That's fair. So it's not recognized by science. It can't be tested by scientific rules or regulations. For good but reason. some believe, to your point, you know, with good reason, that uh, they're energy lines that cross over the Earth's surface. So you are yes. 100% correct in that. Um, and Langley was actually using her dowsing rods to locate ley lines, allegedly. Hmm. That is a way that you can find them. Sure, yeah. She states that it's possible that the group of Satanists practicing at Highgate Cemetery were aware of the ley lines that went through the Middlesex Forest and Highgate Woods, as well as the Highgate Cemetery. So if these all line up, a cemetery with ley lines would have a ton of power, allegedly. Allegedly. And if someone did, in fact, bring through an entity potentially demonic, maybe Kim. Kim came through. Um, <gasps> I did. They might not have been able to get rid of it, which is why Kim is here today. <laughs> so if one accepts the existence of the energy lines that are ley lines, you know that ley lines course through Highgate, apparently, breaking through the man-made barriers with ease, but by the same token... There's also underground water courses, which mm. run through the hill that push through the same energy at the same time, which could create a frisson, which could affect energy in general. And so just something to consider. Okay. So I wanted to talk about Leylands a little bit. Langley was on to something, I think. I think that could be something you could consider. Sure. sure why not? Sure. So yeah. I wanted to talk about it. But the last entry in the Ham and High for David Ferrant, unfortunately, was his obituary. Mm. He died at age 73 in April of 2019, and some people actually think that he's still haunting the Highgate Cemetery, mm. which is wild because though he, he, he essentially, he talked about this a lot in his life that he thought he was the vampire's ultimate victim because literally somebody else took credit for what he discovered and then made a big deal out of it. Sure. He could never have any resolve. And so he died without resolve. Even after death, he's trapped by the story, which is sad. Mm -hmm. Now, in January 2020, recently, very mm -hmm. recently, very recently, there was a team of investigators who actually broke into the Highgate Cemetery and filmed an experience that they had. This is also in the... Um, the documentary I was talking about, mm -hmm. um, and it shows their footage. And they caught a shadow figure moving past them in one of the mausoleums, allegedly the mausoleum really? where they had, yeah, where they had all the satanic rituals happening. Really? Um, mm -hmm. And it has, they have the video on the documentary so you can watch it. Okay. No, um, I'd like to watch this. And that's something that, uh, what's really interesting too is that um, they had said, show yourself behind me right before the figure passed through and you could see something move behind mm, them. Okay, okay. They did an EVP session as well, and they heard the name David in the EVP session. Okay. Which is why some people think David Ferris. Ew, David. There. Sorry. Ew, David. Ew, David. That's I, I would have responded with that had I been there and heard that EVP session. Absolutely. So the group actually used a couple of gadgets. They used a REM pod. Uh, they also 
used, obviously they did EVP, but they uh, were in the same crypt where Ferent found the pentagram on the floor and the evidence of the satanic rituals. Um, they also went over to that pub across the way that okay. Ferent said that he saw the shadow figure at, and they mm-hmm. stated that they also saw a dark figure there. What was super weird is that there they'd had a lot a lot of um, technical difficulties at mm-hmm. the um, pub. Their equipment was malfunctioning. The camera would lose focus and then focus and lose focus and then focus. Things would die. Uh, they had a feeling, of, like a very heavy feeling of being watched. And the REM pod went off a bunch of times. Temperature changed. Like they had a bunch of stuff happen. Mm-hmm. But again, as paranormal investigators, we don't know who that was. We don't know who that was. Now, there have been a variety of other investigations. I just figured I'd mention the highlights of what was noted, noted in the Highgate um, Cemetery documentary I, I watched. Sure, um, yeah. But what I found really interesting, too, is that uh, in my research, I found uh, Delia Ferrant. Uh, she was uh, David Ferrant's wife. She actually has a whole website dedicated to Highgate hauntings. She has a book that looks very similar to our friend Ross Allison's books about hauntings in places oh. that are local to the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, and she did a ton of research and references a lot of historical stuff and experiences that people have had on her website in a variety of articles. Okay. So I used a lot of that for, for content here. But what I thought was really interesting was that she talks about how ridiculous the vampire hunting was. She talks about the aftermath and what was left due to the vampire frenzy of the 1970s at Highgate, which not a lot of people acknowledge. Um, Okay, okay. And so she also wrote about the Friends, I believe they're called the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust. Mm -hmm. They actually organize tours of the cemetery and manage it and have kept it beautiful since the 70s. So since um, things were really you know, overgrown, destroyed. They Mm -hmm. went in and restored the destruction from Mm -hmm. back in the day. And so they're really protective of that cemetery now. Okay. Um, And what I thought was really funny was when I was reading through this, um, she talked about how if you go there, they will judge you if you look like you're there for ghosts or vampires. (laughs) Which made... Made me remember, I don't know if you recall this, but um, when I was in New Orleans and went to the old Ursuline convent with my husband, we look a certain way. Uh, We went there for a tour and people gave us shit. Like the first thing that someone said to me was this place isn't haunted. And I was like, I'm just here for a tour. Sure. I just want to see it. Like, they knew. Like, people know when you're there for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, apparently at Highgate, if you look a certain way or seem a certain way, they will just straight up kick you out of the tour and you won't get a refund. Which is really, that's really too bad. I'm sorry. It is. And um, I will say a quick quote that she said there too, um, because I thought it was funny. Um, Apparently past paying visitors have been ejected from tours for wearing black lipstick or even having a rubber bat safety pin to their rucksack. (laughs) I mean, come on. Who doesn't have a rubber bat safety pin to the rucksack? Great question. Um, but, I mean, I can understand why people would be extra protective of, of that cemetery. But, I mean, people are curious. They want to learn more and, and see what's going on there. But also, there are people that actively visit relatives that have passed and are buried there and, you know, want to pay respect. So it, it's a fine line. I can understand why someone would be concerned, but also, I want to go visit. Am I going right? to get kicked out? You know? So Yeah, you probably would. 
I have to look super normal. I don't know how to do that, but I'll try. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, she talks about other weird shit that's happened, too, in that area. Apparently in 1597, there was a hermit who collected tolls at Highgate on behalf of the Bishop of London uh, that was accused of sorcery. <laughs> sure. So that's a fun sentence. That's um, a best sentence. Also, two local dudes uh, were hung in 1831 for their role in body snatching, in, in a body snatching enterprise uh, that they operated from Highgate, Highgate's West Hill. Okay. Uh, there's also the recent discovery of two tombstones in the grounds of the Flask public house. Uh, it, there's so much that still has not been uncovered that of stuff that's happened there that's like really bizarre and weird. Okay. So she brings up a bunch of that, which I thought was like really cool and kind of interesting. So, you know, it's a sensitive situation. It's a sensitive subject. There's a lot to dig up, pun intended. But I mentioned earlier before we started recording that there is a acronym that I really wanted to tell you about. Um, yes. And yes. that's where a lot of our bad jokes came from today. Mm-hmm. The Association for the Scientific Study of anomalous phenomena. ASAP. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you, you said cock and dick, and I said close. Physically, but not the literal mm-hmm. close. Um, apparently, they conducted a, a recent survey to the general public that indicated that over half of their sample believed in supernatural things, and one in five people claimed to have had an experience personally. Um, and I think that kind of dictates the storytelling that we hear today of, you know, vampirism or haunted things. And mm-hmm. you have that everlasting struggle of the people wanting to keep a cemetery looking beautiful and pristine and having a good positive reputation because who controls the narrative, right? Sure. Um, versus the people who have very strong, you know, a strong sense of belief and superstition and really taking people's word for truth without questioning it. And uh, there's no indication that anything will change, you know, at Highgate Cemetery or um, if people will allow ghost hunts again at any point soon. But sightings continue. And even on the guided tours, people see things. Uh, you know, it's wild that in 2004, several members of a tour group actually witnessed a tall, dark figure, apparently male, glide off the path, not like it's walking, but gliding inside the top gate. And, sure. you know, they asked the tour guide, do you have actors here? Like, are there people that like try to portray creepy people? Like, mm-hmm. Are there, is there anyone else in the cemetery? They're like, no, we don't have anybody like that. So, okay, it raises questions, and I, I feel have like questions. There will always be that infinite struggle of is it paranormal or can you debunk it? And mm-hmm. I think that's why we're here, right? So, yeah. Um, having said that, two last fun facts for you: if you want to look up locations that are also haunted that have like sightings, they are all on Adelia. Uh, fair and sight and I'll reference it in our show notes so you can look that stuff up on your own this is already a longish episode so I don't want to go too long but I had to talk about pop culture because I didn't realize how many things were inspired by Highgate Cemetery and by this particular vampire story Mm -hmm. apparently uh, 
the Hammer horror film Dracula AD 1972. Kim, are sure. you familiar with that movie? I am familiar with that movie. It was inspired by the Highgate Vampire. Really? Fun fact. That's cool. Um, my personal favorite fun fact is the Highgate Vampire appears as a villain in the Dark Horse comics series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer season <gasps> nine. Seriously? Yep. That's and apparently, cool. the Highgate vampire is revealed to be not a vampire, which is fun, but an insectoid demon that feeds off its victims' emotional trauma. Okay. And apparently, Giles is almost killed by the creature in 1972. Um, also, the Highgate vampire becomes a minion of Drusilla when it returns in the 2010s. So... I love that little detail. That That's delightful. From Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, you know, legend is strong. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lore is fun, man. I know that that was probably something ghosty. Sure. What do you think it was? What are your thoughts? <sighs> I mean, I guess I have a hard time getting past some of the more ridiculous there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and again, it's 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 trying to separate all those threads. I I don't discount there could be something paranormal going on. Um but I, I guess I would want to read more from somebody who was going in skeptically. And more accounts or or somebody who's interviewing people with that on their brain of like I want to have not just a story about somebody seeing something, someone experienced something, but like an actual interview that you can then question or see someone questioning. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know exactly a, what you mean. Yeah. A real firsthand account and not just there's a story of XYZ happening. Because that's the problem with a lot of ghost stories. It's as to your point you made right. at the very beginning. It's telephone. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, that's I just, why I was going to say that's why it would be really cool for you to check out the the ghost hunting portion of this. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and 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 I would like to. Um, I I I don't discount at all that there could be something paranormal happening. I just I feel like we that some of the more sensationalized things are kind of distorting. Um, what one could look at for the truth, if that makes. sense. For sure. And I think what's kind of unique about this situation, and I know there's lots of stories and like circumstances that are similar to this, where you have people that are super duper gung ho and like don't need evidence, but just Mm want to believe everything. Exactly. Or you have people that are like, I don't believe in anything ever. Mm -hmm. And that's the case for this particular situation. It's one or the other. It's like black or white. There's no gray. And I feel like we need more of that gray. And that's what yes. you're talking about with like needing to talk to someone who actually yeah. experienced something. But it sounds like there have been some serious experiences and some people who have documented some stuff too, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and again, I, I think that's well said that um, we, we need some of that gray. <clears throat> it's because, uh, well, I mean, we've been contacted before by people who, who – uh, maybe don't like some of the debunking and it's, it's like, I don't, uh, I debunk because I believe. And so, um, it's not a bad thing to believe. It's not a bad thing to want these stories to be real, but you do still have to (laughs) do some of that 
due diligence and work. and and the work because yeah. uh, because the payoff is so much better too. For sure, we are the gray area. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. We are. And we so, are. for our listeners, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this yeah. particular topic. So, uh, we'll be posting some stuff to our socials. So, feel free to chime in there, or you know, send us a message, or hey, write us a review and tell us how you think. Or Absolutely, what you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and having said that, this brings us to. <gasps> Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim, what you watching? Uh, I've seen a couple kind of cool things the last few days. I did go and see Bones and All. Oh. Which is currently playing in theaters. It's based on um, a novel, and it's uh, Timothy Chalamet, Taylor Russell. It, you know, it was, it was a really interesting movie. It's marketed as being more... I don't know. I don't think the marketing for it fully does it justice. Essentially, you have this teenage girl where you know that something's kind of off with her. And you find out she's some form of cannibal. Like, she has to. Uh, Like, she has to eat humans to survive. And and that part is never fully... Like, they're, they're called eaters. That's never really fully explained. Is it something demonic? Is it just, like, she's a person who's compelled to eat people? You don't really know. Um, but she, she, you know, her dad kind of tosses her out and she's off on the road and she meets other eaters and she meets, um, Lee, who is Timothy Chalamet's character. And it's really more about them, her and her kind of working through some stuff and them, but the trailers make it look a little bit more overtly horror than it is. It's kind of a like road movie, you know, like two characters on the road, um, doing their thing and figuring shit out. But it, it was really interesting and, and um, uh, worth, worth a watch if you're looking for something a little bit more art housey horror. I like that kind of description of horror. Well, no, I mean, but you know what I mean when I say art house horror? Like yeah. it's, 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 it's a very specific type of horror film. It is not going to appeal. If you just want blood and guts, this is not going to be your movie. Uh, but it's it's kind of a, a romance. Well, no, it's not kind of. It is a romance, and it's it's well acted. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really solid. Uh, it's well directed. Um, your cast is top notch. There's a, a character in it named Sully, and the actor who plays him uh, is um, Mark Rylance, who's really kind of I, I I'm familiar with him as a stage actor, actually. Uh, but he plays this character Sully, and he he just he it's he's very unsettling. He's he's very good. So you have all these characters, you have all these great actors popping up. Uh, if you like your horror a little more subtle, if you like your horror again a little more art house, then I think you'll I think you'll enjoy this. Um, so I I saw that, and then uh, there was a movie just came out today, as of the time oh. of our recording on Shudder called A Wounded Fawn. This is not a movie for everyone. Oh, I love when you preface an explanation with that. Well, no, it's, you know, because um, it it starts off and you think it's going to be, I don't want to say like run of the mill, 
because <laughs> uh, that that feels unfair. Um, the guy who directed and wrote it is the same person who directed and wrote uh, Jacob's Wife that came out, I think, last year, uh, Travis Stevens. And it you you start off with this this guy who's a serial killer and uh, this woman who is kind of like tentatively dating again after escaping a abusive relationship. Oh, no. Well, no. So, again, you think it's going to follow all these beats and then it turns into this like weird, surreal... Influenced by Greek mythology. What? Uh, no, it is it is an absolute mind trip. Is it like Mother? No, I fucking hated Mother. That movie can die in a fire. Um, I hated that movie too. I hated that. I, I, I go, oh man, that's, Gabby, that is an hour of rant you could get out of me. Oh but no. But it's, it's. It's it was it was fascinating and and really compelling. I really liked it, but I like weird kind of horror like this. Again, if you're looking for really traditional blood and guts horror, this is not going to be your movie. If you're looking for something kind of weird, complex, surreal, great performances, beautiful visuals, very distinct, check this movie out cuz it is a trip. I actually think I would like both of the movies that you just mentioned. So I yes. really yeah. would like to watch them. No, this, this is like this is like some more highbrow horror, I guess, because these are not the movies. Not that there's not blood and guts in them, but these are not the movies to watch if that's what you're looking for. For sure. Yeah. What about you? I finally watched Interview with the Vampire. Yes. <clears throat> the show, and obviously. Did you love it? Did you love it? Oh, my God. It? it was so good. Right? Um, and, and so queer. And so queer. And I love it so much. And I think what I actually enjoyed the most, I don't know if you watch this, too, because I know the way we watch things is a little bit different, but was the kind of after the show conversations with oh, the directors yeah. and mm-hmm, the actors. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they talked about how Anne Rice passed away. Yeah. While they were filming. Mm-hmm. And like the just like the the air mm-hmm. um, for everyone who was involved in the fact that she wasn't going to be able to see it. Yeah. Um, when it was done. Um, was or this whole sad, universe like, they're building too. Right. Yeah. Which it's is, not just this show. It's so exciting. And mm-hmm. like I can't wait to see more of it. It was so well done. Um, and just the use of the fact that they did the casting through Zoom during the pandemic mm-hmm. to me was like bonkers because people yeah. were all over the world while casting it at like three in the morning having to read lines on Zoom. Like that's it's just like I it makes me have so much more respect for the show. Like yes. I feel like the show's already good to begin with. Um it's definitely um different from the movie, but mm-hmm. I think what I like about it the most is it's like I feel like the movie is streamlined, not streamlined. Mm-hmm. The movie is like typical normie vampire movie. Sure. And then the show is what you really wanted the movie to be. I feel like that's the best way to kind of put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like just the way that, you know, Louis is a black Creole guy um, yeah. in New Orleans um, and – there's a legitimate relationship between him and Lestat that, like... Toxic, but yes. Yeah, but also, <laughs> like, the, the human emotion within it... Oh, yes. ...is 
wildly, mm-hmm. amazingly portrayed mm-hmm. and so well acted. So I was so excited to watch it when you talked about it last. I genuinely thought that I wasn't going to be able to watch it because I was going to have to pay for it, but I found a loophole and I used it. And so I didn't realize because you found it on Prime. So Prime, for those of our listeners that don't have cable and want to also take advantage of what I did, uh, you can do a seven-day, like, free (gasps) trial. Oh, smart girl, smart. And so you just, all the episodes are out, so just binge it. And that's what I did. I watched the whole thing in three days. And so I binged it, although the funny thing is is I already had a subscription to Sundance. And so (laughs) when I did the, the, like, a, or the AMC subscription, it canceled my Sundance and then included Sundance. So I didn't, oh, I was already sure, paying sure, sure. for it anyway. And so right. now I'm just getting an extra channel. So nice. Well, because AMC out. Plus, AMC Plus is like AMC Shutter and it's a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I keep toying with wanting to do AMC Plus, but I subscribe to Shutter and I subscribe to cable. So I get AMC already. So I haven't done it, but I don't get Sundance. And there's been a couple documentaries on Sundance I've wanted to watch. So you can come over and just <gasps> yeah. watch stuff. So that'll there work. stuff I want to watch? Yes. Um, and then I also started watching Wednesday on Netflix. Oh, um, which is on my list, but like, man, people are divided down. Yeah. it's. The, I feel like it's yeah. tough because I'm not done watching it. I started okay. it. I've gotten through about half of it. And so... And I've heard both sides. I've heard people who think it's like the best thing and people who have hated it. I'm somewhere in the middle. Fair, I don't fair. love it. I don't okay. hate it. Okay. Uh, I like some of Wednesday's outfits. My mm-hmm. ongoing joke is that I am who <laughs> I, I am like, her. Like isn't literally that like your fashion sense. Like she wear, I see pictures and I'm like, Gabby'd wear that. Gabby'd wear yes, that. Because yeah. again, all these people are dressing up as Wednesday Adams now. And I'm like, yo, I've been doing this for years. Like this is not new. But again, that's not why I'm watching Wednesday. Um, I have a very strong emotional connection with the Adams family from my childhood. Yes. I dressed up as Wednesday Adams when I was nine. I It was from Adams Family Values when that came out. Mm-hmm. And I had a baby doll that I drew a mustache and hair on with oh, a Sharpie. Like, I have a very adorable. strong emotional connection to Pubert and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think what I really enjoy about it is that it's definitely written for a teenager. I think that it's like... Okay. Targeting a teenage audience or early 20s audience. Um, but it's very intelligently written. Um, so an adult person of our age would actually appreciate it. While there's definitely like nuance to social media and references to things that I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like too old to know, right? right. So um, but I do not love Fred Armisen. As period. No, that's you can stop right there. I don't love Fred Armisen. <laughs> Terrence likes Fred Armisen. I like him sometimes. I find him I mostly annoying. He's um, problematic too. He's pulled some shit. And he, the way he plays Fester mm. drives me nuts. Yeah. Like I don't like it. All I think yeah. of is Christopher Lloyd, and like yeah. no one can do Fester like Christopher Lloyd. So mm-hmm. like for me, that's that's my biggest qualm so far. Sure. sure but sure, the sure, writing sure, sure. is pretty good, but a lot of it's honestly like it's, it's very, like, murder mystery-ish. Like, mm-hmm. that's the vibe of the show. Um, and I love that Christina Ricci is in it, though. Like, I the do fact love that, that she's, yes. She's yeah. in it as, um, you know, one of the teachers, mm-hmm. as a normie teacher, funny enough. Um, Which is great. Yeah. Uh, I was recently reading a thread about how a bunch of young people didn't realize that Christina Ricci was the original Wednesday. Oh, and I was like, Lord. God damn it, I'm so old. So I hope yeah. any of our listeners out there already know that and I didn't tell them something they didn't know. So I mean, that wasn't that wasn't a secret. That's been in their marketing. 
So, anywho, I think it's decent. I, I think it's worth a watch. I think yeah. you would like it knowing that you like certain teenage horror type things. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I definitely um, have an appreciation yeah. for that. Yeah. And I, I'm not done with it yet, so I don't have okay. a final I don't have a final say nope, that I started fair. it. You can report yeah. back. We'll report back, but that's what mm-hmm. I've been watching. And um, having said that, thank you so much for listening. Yes. Uh, I know this episode was kind of a wild ride, so thank you for being on it with but, us. But awesome. Like, this is a cool... I, again, a little different from, from what we normally do. Weird, but in a slightly different kind of weird. So Yeah, well we done. made it even weirder. So look we at that. We did, but, but um, well-researched. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Had a good time doing it. And yeah. if you want to watch it, again, another thing I watched was the um, actual documentary, uh, mm-hmm. The Curse, which I think is funny that they called it The Curse. <laughs> the Curse of the Highgate Vampire on Discovery+. Sure. Plus. Absolutely. Um, and so having said that, thank you for listening. Um, mm-hmm. If you have not yet done so, head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. We would super nice. appreciate it. Yes, we would. Um, and you can find us anywhere on social media that has Ghoulish Tendencies podcast and on Patreon for some fun, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for listening. And having said that, stay, stay.